So today I'm sharing on the topic of community, which is very timely. Uh, and, and it's what we would normally call our, our church or our church community. We're going to have a couple more messages on community later this term. But today I want to break my message down into two parts. The first part is a broad look at community, a, a shotgun approach, not looking in detail, but just touching on some big ideas that I hope stick. Then in the second half, I actually want to go deeper on one aspect of living in community, of, of being church together. So let's get into it. Let's start by looking at nine things to consider about biblical communities. Now, before we do that, I just want to clarify that biblical communities aren't all communities that were in the Bible, but that the biblical model of God-centered communities, both New Testament church and Old Testament Israelite communities that, that God establishes in Scripture. So, Biblical God-centered communities are, number one, God's good and right plan. Throughout the Bible, God consistently establishes or brings together communities that worship him as a basic building block. Whether it was the early church or the Israelite nation, whether people were in exile or in their own land, there is extremely few exceptions to the idea of living in community, in, in God-centered communities. And for us, as followers of Jesus, living God's way means living within a God-centered community. That's the first thing. Biblical God-centered communities are God's good and right plan. Number two, God-centered communities are others-oriented. What does that mean? Well, anyone that's been to Fiji would understand this because there's a big difference between culture in Fiji and, and normal culture in Australia. They are minded and structured in a way that they put community first and the individual second. Whereas in Australia, we often put the individual first and the community second. And that's very much what living in a God-centered community should be like. It messes with our heads a little bit because we're so different in our wider culture. But throughout the Bible, God encourages thinking about others, prioritizing the needs of others, and loving others above ourselves. Number three, God-centered communities are costly. There is no cheap shortcut to godly communities. Community and sacrifice go together. Acts 2.45 says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, we don't often quote that verse as a model for what we should do. Maybe don't quote it enough, actually. But the sentiment is throughout Scripture. It will cost everybody time, resources, emotion, thought to a sacrificial level for godly communities to be healthy. Number four. God-centered communities are not perfect. People occasionally say, we need to get back to being like the New Testament church. And there is some validity to that. However, there are also many examples in the New Testament church of issues that they faced and that they caused even. Theology issues, charity issues, behavioral issues. There were plenty of them. We don't learn and grow without failing and making mistakes. 
And so not being perfect is actually okay as a community. The issues or, or not being perfect are not actually roadblocks, but opportunities. They're gifts to learn and grow. Number five, God-centered communities are diverse. It can feel good to be around people like us, the same lifestyle or preferences. But biblically, this is not God's model. There is often great diversity, even in small communities. The 12 Jesus gathered as community are a perfect example of this. Was Jesus crazy? Maybe you might think so, but I think he was actually showing us a different way and a different model of community where there is actually diversity in it. Number six, God-centered communities are led by flawed people. God raises up leaders to serve the people, but they were never meant to replace him. Every leader in the Bible, except Jesus, had significant things they were working on. Job went bankrupt. Elijah was suicidal. Samson was a womanizer. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a cheat. David was a murderer. I could go on. Our culture loves heroes. But we need to remember that they never actually fall from grace. They were only ever built up on grace in the first place. Leaders' resumes never match their calling. Always inadequate for the task. Don't be shocked or disappointed when your leaders stuff up. That was never a requirement for taking the job. Number seven, God-centered communities are healthiest when they focus on God. Now, it might sound obvious, but I really love passages of scripture where they use the phrase like, and there was peace in the land, or, and they lived in peace with one another. When God is at the center, communities are healthy and thriving, full of peace, full of joy, full of love, and full of hope. Number eight, God-centered communities are God's reflection to the world. Like it or not, the world understands God by his people. That has always been the case. And being God's people means being a reflection, a testimony of him to the world. Jesus actually said that directly when he said, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And number nine, God-centered communities are full of potential. Overwhelmingly, God's good and right plans work. Scripture tells story time and time again, and I really hope you've had experiences too of where God-centered communities show the potential of God's good design. Now, I hope these nine things didn't come to you as a surprise, but I also hope that in amongst them, there were things that challenged and inspired you to live out God-centered communities. As I mentioned, that was just the shotgun approach of nine broad ideas that I would love to sort of plant and establish and develop. However, right now I'd like to go deeper on one specific topic. And I want to focus on church or, or Jesus community as a hospital. It's such a central and important part of being church. 
A hospital is a place where people are cared for and nursed back to health. Now, no analogy is perfect, but let's stick to the hospital one for now. Church as a hospital assumes a few things. Number one, it assumes that there are people that are unwell. Number two, it assumes that there's a model for what healthy looks like. Number three, it assumes that we believe that people can be well again. And number four, it assumes that we are equipped with medical staff to achieve this. So let's briefly go through each of these. The first two actually go hand in hand. What is being unwell and what healthy looks like? They're attached to each other. They're linked to each other. By far the greatest sickness in the world is separation from God. We call it sin. I think it was Timothy Keller who said, it's having the wrong love priorities, making love of self higher than love of others or God. Anyone not in communion and covenant with God is not well. Anyone who doesn't know the grace found in Jesus is on an unhealthy path of hopelessness and death. However, that's not all. Anything that is not part of God's beautiful design for humanity is also unhealthy, and the church is part of restoring his perfect will. What am I talking about? I'm talking about those who are needy, those who lack care, food, clothing, or safety. The lack of value or dignity, broken relationships, or loneliness. Those suffering injustice, and yes, physical and mental illness too. They're all part of shifting from unwell to well in the kingdom of God. But if church is a hospital, we must believe that people can be well again. Some days it's easy to get discouraged when you see the amount of sickness in the world. But today, I want us to redirect our focus to the opportunity. Do you believe people can be well? The church has passionately believed this and been on the cutting edge of this since its beginning. Emperor Julian, uh, who who was Emperor Constantine's nephew, wrote a letter to his pagan high priest saying, It is disgraceful that when no Jew has to beg and the impious Galileans, being the Christians that he hated, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. He was disgusted that the Christians were helping the pagan poor people more than he was helping them. What a testimony. Christians were the first to establish hospitals themselves. Bishop Basil the Great was instrumental in this. From 325 AD, they embarked on a project of constructing hospitals in every cathedral town. And it didn't stop there. Nursing homes, orphanages, welfare systems, employment benefits are all Christian initiatives. The Bible is packed full of instructions on caring for the needy, both physical, spiritual, and emotional. God believes people can be well. The question is, do we? Lastly, I want to move on to point four. 
Church as a hospital means we have the equipped medical staff to achieve this. Now, we can often get stuck on this point in two different ways. First, we don't think we are equipped enough. And there is sometimes a truth to that. And as leaders, we continue to invest in equipping the body for the work of ministry, as Ephesians tells us. But how much equipping do you need to love others? How much equipping do you need to pray for someone? How much equipping do you need to ring someone up and ask how they're doing? There's actually a large portion of being church as a hospital that requires minimal equipping. And we often, if we admit it, are actually more equipped than our doubt allows us to believe. Don't get deceived. You can do something. And when you do, you'll be surprised at how much you can do. And you'll also find out what you need more equipping in. That's how Jesus taught it. Trust first, ask questions later. Have a go, then you'll have good questions to ask when you get back together. The second way we get stuck is thinking, I need the help. Get me a nurse or doctor. Again, there's some truth in that. We all have times of need, and as a community, we we do desperately need to care for one another. But it's also too easy to get trapped in the great Australian catch cry. What about me? It isn't fair. We need to aim higher. Our goal is not mutual pleasure in this country club. If we're a hospital, you and I are the medical staff. Yes, medical staff are occasionally patients in the hospital. But they don't stay patients. They get healthy so they can be great nurses and doctors, surgeons and physios. As Jesus followers, we are not passive in this world. We do not watch brokenness unfold and sit by and do nothing about it. And our compassion is not just towards our friends and family. That's not God's way. Like God, we do good to even those who hate us. This needs to be a priority, a focus for you and I. And when there's 1,500 new cases of COVID each day in Victoria, when 30% of people say they're lonely, when 20% suffer from mental illness or depression, it's not hard to find an opportunity to care. Church is like a hospital. We have compassion for people that are unwell, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We look to God for the model of what healthy looks like. We believe that people can be well again, and we are all medical staff in training in this hospital. To finish with, I want to share a passionate story that Jesus shared with his followers. We call it a parable, and it's a parable of the sheep and the goats. And it's found in Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. Listen to this and hear how important church as a hospital, God-centered community as a hospital was to Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him 
and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on, on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is how significant being church as a hospital was to Jesus, to those that followed Jesus. We have an amazing opportunity, an amazing gift of living this out in our day, of representing God to our community. And I would really encourage you to to wrestle with this, to pray about this, to be inspired and encouraged by this, to live as a hospital in this community in this church, in this environment, in this day and this time. Don't wait for somebody else to tap you on the shoulder and and suggest something to you. Pray and step in. Take risks and live as Jesus has inspired us to live.